from the Dove and Dragon Radio. I'm your host, Emma Roostrock. I'm here with my special guest, Wayne McFarland. Welcome. Hey. Hey, you. Now, we, <laughs> you're an author, but yep. you're also a CEO of a soft, software company. Yeah, we sold that bad boy. And uh-huh. I'm telling you, uh, it, uh, so I wrote this memoir, which has nothing to do with software. Because after about a year of catching fish, I said, if I catch one more, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to drown myself in the river. You know, I'm just not too good at being uh, being retired, I guess. Yeah. And neither am I. So we're good. That's why we write books and do other things. That's right. So where did you get to the idea to write your first book? Well, you know, I've always been an avid reader, and and I've always loved biographies and memoirs, and so I suppose I focused a little more of my reading on that. And I woke up one day and I said, man, most memoirs really suck. They're really terrible. And uh, so many of them are full of things like, well, when I was a kid, you could leave your bike on the sidewalk and it would steal it. And when we wanted to roller skate, we put skates on our shoes and skated down the street. I thought, no one cares. No one cares. You know, I mean, it was important maybe when you, to you when you were a kid, but now, you know, millennials like my niece and nephew and they would just roll their eyes and go, yeah, 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 you know, give the old man a lollipop and tell him to shut up. And <laughs> The uh, the other thing that uh, that I'm believing in, a lot of memoirs tend to either be self-serving or try to maintain that everything was some kind of a great planned, a glorious sweep of life. And Melissa, truth be told, most of us just stumble from one thing to another. And looking back on it, it either looks like or we pretend it was planned. No. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. <laughs> so were any of your harrowing experiences planned or they just happened? Like well, running it, with the bulls? It just happened. I mean, uh, I noted in the story that uh, we'd had a birthday party. Uh, I'm from a little town in the Midwest, but uh, one of the places I ran off to was Europe. And what do, what do uh, a bunch of younger folks do in Europe on Paris on your birthday? Well, you get drunk. And we got up one morning and a spectacular hangover. And so it's just thought time to – we didn't have a hotel anymore. So we bought a, bought a train ticket. heard about this craziness going on in this little town. And we just bought a train ticket and hung over a road to Pamplona where they had the running of the bulls. And so that's kind of how it started. So it was no great Hemingway plan. I hadn't even read his book at the time. Oh, goodness. So so there you are running with the bulls in this little yeah. town and just with a hangover. Well, that's it. And I never would have run at all if I hadn't uh, stumbled into a a guy who was a Norwegian paratrooper of all things, and he and his buddies used to go there proving the big macho spirit. And it actually tripped over him because he was sleeping on the ground. And he got up, an affable guy, and he said, I'm running today. I'm running with the bulls. You're coming with me, right? 
And I said, yeah, sure, of course, of course I'm coming with you. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, now uh, the event is broadcast worldwide. I mean, there's like, it's ESPN and there's millions of viewers and the town is packed with, you know, a million people or a million and a half people and you have to make reservations in advance. And I mean, when I went, we just got on the train and went there, you know, and yeah, the smaller town, and there are people from all over the world. And the goal of it's called the Festival of Sound for me. The goal is to it's a week long, eight days, but for seven days they roll in the bulls. So the goal is to to drink all night, run with the bulls in the morning, and then sleep all day. And I was fine with drinking all night and sleeping all day. It was the bulls part that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really feel it was such a good idea. So, so that was so there we were, and uh, it was things have changed a lot. You know, when I when I was there, um, you know, when we were running down the street with me thinking to myself, you know, I'm, I've lost my mind. They, it's a couple mile run, mile, because mile and something, mm-hmm. and they they block off the streets, because there's streets that, there's a main drag you run down, and then they block off right. the streets with a, fe- with a fence. Now, I understand, they have two fences. One that blocks the street, and behind that are medical personnel, and then there's a second fence that keeps the crowd, you know, away from the street. Back in the day, we're running down the street, and I thought, i got to get out of here. There's people getting hurt, you know? And I saw these fences to the alleys and stuff, and people were jumping on them, and then they were falling back on the street. And I noticed that everybody who looked like a tourist who jumped on one of these fences, there were Spanish guys on the other side who would smack them in the face and shout at them, hey, you wanted to run? Turista? You wanted to run? Run! <laughs> so I thought, well, probably better finish this up, you know. So, uh, so that was uh, <laughs> uh, it. Was fun when it was over, you know. Um, yeah. But I'll tell you, if you ever go there, the worst part. I mean, yeah, at the time, yeah. Now it's pretty. It's a co-ed thing, and mm-hmm. but the last part of the run, there's a long uh, concrete hall, hallway, if you will, entryway mm-hmm. to the bull ring where you end up, and they let more havoc loose on you. And um, if you get caught in there, there's there's no place to hide. I mean, you're just a concrete box, right? Right. And I, I later found out the problem was not so much getting gored, although I thought that was the problem. But um, but it was people piling up and, and uh, dying from suffocation. Ooh. So, yeah. <laughs> I was with a friend of mine after it was all over. I went back to where we were staying, which was sleeping on the ground in a park, and he he was all beat up. And I said to him, "Did you did you run?" And he said, "No. What are you what are you crazy?" He said, "I met this lady, and she took me up to an apartment that overlooked the street. So I watched all you idiots running." And I said, "Well, how'd you get all beat up?" And he said, "Well, about halfway through, three guys broke in and started shouting at me." using the word hermanos a lot, which is Spanish for brothers. Yeah. turns out that these were her brothers. And 
And then he told me uh, they grabbed me and threw me down the stairs. But it could have been worse. I said, they threw you down the stairs. How could it be worse? And he said, well, they were going to throw me over the balcony. I mean, <laughs> those were the days, you know. But Yeah, the, those are the good old days that we look back on and go, what were we thinking? But they make exactly. great stories now. Exactly, exactly. You know what they say, today's catastrophe is tomorrow's great story. Exactly. I mean, how many great books that are out wouldn't have been wrote or written if the author had never experienced something? Well, it's true. And, you know, the thing I think about the as I started thinking about some of these events, like pitching a lone shark or getting shot or whatever it may be, um, you, mostly stuff like that comes if you just sit on your backside and try to make your life as, as compact and safe as you can. For one thing, there is no safety anymore, as we've come to find out. But for the other, you know, you're, you're not going to have things that open your view or maybe expand your heart a little bit unless you get out there. Right. And then to later pretend that all of the weird stuff that happens to you, you'd really planned it. <laughs> that's, I what I, that's when I read memoirs and I said, no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> no, we just pretend that we plan everything. Yes, yes. And then when the crazy stuff goes on their lap, we just roll with it because right. <laughs> it's just going to get more fun from there, right? That's exactly right. And, you know, I started thinking about I got a, a – Probably I got a couple of years on you. You know, I'm not asking none of my beeswax, but you know, the the what I tried to do too was keep the chapters uh, true, but also shorter, like short stories, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, including running with the bulls, there's things like uh, the day we lost ten grand at the Hollywood sign, and then. Yeah, the day we rolled the bear and the day Johnny Cash hit on my wife and Oh, well, you have to get tell that story cuz that's so, I'm yeah. a huge Johnny Cash fan, so you oh, have to ch- tell the Johnny Cash story. Me too. I I love that guy. Well, we were at the time I was doing some production work, special effects. Okay. These days what I used to do with 50 big old pieces of equipment called slide projectors you can now do with one cell phone. So mm-hmm. that, now is better. But what we did is we uh, – the live stage shows and, and like the Country Music Awards where all this happened, mm-hmm. we'd open it up with um, – now they're considered music videos, but then they were slides kind of synced to music and lasers and all that stuff. And so we were – we were hired to go in and and uh, and open the show, <laughs> and uh, it was being produced by a family group of very popular singers, uh, which is still around, right? And as it turned out, as a production company, that was their first production, and they kind of oversold their capabilities, right? So they didn't give people time enough. It's called load-in time to set up all their equipment, you know, sound and cameras and whatever. And you can't do things simultaneously. Like you can't set up sound in an arena 
if people are fooling with lights and so forth. So anyway, our equipment took two hours to set up, and we had 45 minutes, so you can imagine, right? So, right. So we opened the show, and my God, Melissa, it was a disaster. The only way we got through it was uh, I had the crew fire off all the fireworks at the beginning instead mm-hmm. of the end. So when we got done, uh, I went to the backstage bar. My wife had flown in to see the show. She was getting her doctorate in molecular biology. You talk about two different people, right? Mm-hmm. And my plane does not fly in the arena where she <laughs> where she was working at Caltech and MIT and stuff. And so she flew in for the day. <laughs> and and uh, as I retreated, I figured we'd just blown it in front of, you know, 10 million people. Um, she said, I'm going to stay and watch the show. So I came back after <laughs> having someone buy me a, a beer of commiseration. And here was this crowd. Melissa, there must have been 200 people all standing around in a quiet circle. Okay. And in the middle was my wife and this big, tall guy all dressed in black, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, he's earnestly talking to her, and she's shaking her head and, and kind of laughing. And and, uh, and then he walked off, and everybody kind of dispersed. And I went up to her, and I said, what did he say to you? And she just looked at me and smiled and said, oh, a lot of nonsense. And you know, Melissa, she never, to this day, many years later, she never told me. I can't pry it out of her. What the guy what the guy said to her, yeah. But I said, here's here's the punchline, right? My biochemist wife, I said, Do you know who that was? And she said, No. Who was it? I said, That was Johnny Cash. I said she looked and looked me straight in the eye and I swear to God she wasn't joking. She said, Who's Johnny Cash? <laughs> so so there you you go. Fame depends my new yeah. friend, on the crowd you run with, you know? <laughs> exactly. You could be a top-rated actor. If you run across the per- a person that's a bookworm that doesn't watch TV, they're going to yep. go, oh, hello. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You need to shave because most of them do this five o'clock yep. shadow thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly yeah, like, right. So, like, so that was it. <laughs> yeah, it's so, so funny because you can run in different circles. If you're not in that circle or if you're not in that mindset, it doesn't matter to anyone what you do. Yep, yep. And I think, you know, you made the point a bit earlier, Melson. I think you're right. One of the things that struck me when I was putting this stuff together is that, you know, I think you get through experiences. Some of them aren't so great. You mm-hmm. get through them if you truly understand or have the attitude that today's awfulness can be tomorrow's funny story. And uh, I I think some of the memoirs and stuff I read, people don't have that mindset. And they never seem to quite break out of the awfulness of some experiences. And my, my, my heart goes out to them, but on the other hand, life goes on, you know. And if you can't do it with a, a dash of humor and understand maybe the whole universe isn't crappy on you in particular, I, I think it's can be a problem for you. Yes. You have to have the mindset that, one, you want to change what other crappy universes 
given you. And yep. two, <laughs> you have to find the humor. I mean, yeah. we're sitting here right now in the pandemic. A lot of us are home, not doing anything. Either we're out of a job or we're working from home. Yep. And you have to find the humor in the day-to-day. It's like how much... We complain all the time we don't have enough time to be home to clean the house, to be with the kids. <laughs> I don't want to have enough time to clean the house. Stop. <laughs> I know. I, I'm the queen of making work. I'm like, I cannot be idle, people. I, so what am I doing? I'm doing four radio shows a day. I can't be idle. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it doesn't work. Wait. Before you go on, can I give a shameless plug? Go ahead. The book is Tales from the Day, sold on Amazon and good bookstores everywhere, but I'd, I'd recommend Amazon. Jeff Bezos needs the money. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. See, I prefer Barnes & Nobles because... Yeah, you, it's there too. Yeah, but we all have our preferences. I just like being able to go into a bookstore and say... Oh. If it's not on the shelf, I like go, oh, can I order it then? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm with you. I, I think the it's not the virus, but the world is changing, and mm-hmm. I'm just the world's greatest mall rat and and uh, store rat. You know, I love going into bookstores and I love going into stores and the people and stuff. And I think that's going away. It was going away before the virus, but. Yeah, I think everyone's going to be more, I don't want to see the computer for a while at this yeah. point. We want to have human interaction because, seriously, we're stuck at home with our families. How much interaction can you get from a, your family before you want to scream? <laughs> <laughs> or strangle them all. But, but also it's a human need, I think. You know, it's yeah. just part of our our DNA to be out amongst other folks and and um, the thing, things are changing. A lot of good news seems seems to be on the horizon, but it'll be end of year at least before we see a vaccine. Then things yeah, will get it, back to the end. Yeah, it'll be next year before we see yeah. a normal. It's yeah. not going to be when they, they just, hey, the stores are open. Let's go have normal back. No, it's going to be a while. Yeah. Well, plus the fact that, you know, it's so contagious. And with all these folks, you know, demonstrating like a pack of idiots about, you know, when I tell folks, of course, my wife is a biochemist, but the virus doesn't care. It doesn't care that you and I may want to go to to have a restaurant meal. It doesn't care. It doesn't care what our politics are. It just cares about infecting us and killing us or having us carry the virus around to kill our parents or infect our friends. Mm-hmm. The virus, that's, that's, that's its, its life, if you will. And right. trying, to pre- trying to pretend that protesting or shouting or, you know, ignoring it is going to work, it ain't going to work. No. We can't ignore things yeah. because they don't go away. And a virus is just there. Its that's main it. purpose is to find a host to survive. To mutate and reproduce. That's what a virus's job is. Yep, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I was reading today that Georgia, 
which is the first state who opened up with the governor, you know, pontificating this and that. Now they've had a huge spike of infection. They've got some hospitals being overwhelmed. What a shock. Mm-hmm. What a surprise that is, right? Exactly. So. But, you know, it's, we give in to peer pressure. This is yeah. what happens. We have government yep. agencies. We're giving into peer pressure. Yep. And then we don't use our head. Well, that's it, you know, and and um, it's just, I, I tell you, I suppose this kind of counts. If it was just, if the virus would just infect and kill the idiots who, you know, are doing this stuff, that would be one thing. But yeah. the idiots can be asymptomatic and infect you and me mm-hmm. and our families and our kids. So it's not just risking them. You know, I believe if you want to be a, an idiot, that's your right. But if by being an idiot you can hurt me and mine, yeah, I, that's I don't. That, that's not in favor of that. No, I'm not either. I mean, I have me and two of my author friends who are doing a journal. We've been keeping the journal since January, before wow. it actually came to the U.S., where we started seeing deaths and all this destruction and everything. But. That's, been, that was a really good idea. Yeah. You know, really. You and you and Samuel Pepys, you know? Really, mm-hmm. seriously. For a historical document. What a good idea. Good for you. Yeah, we so we can been keeping it off and on. I mean, there's periods we don't write in it and there's periods that is humorous, periods there that are we're scared of our mind because I was infected with it. I was sick, down for two weeks, couldn't move, basically. Oh, oh is that right? Yeah. Oh, so, Yikes. so you have my friends. They're writing this, and they're worried. You have me, and everything I've already survived. And I'm like, no, this virus isn't going to kill me. If three strokes isn't going to kill me, this virus is not going to be what kills me. Wow. So, wow. You're the first person I've talked to. I have relatives back in the Midwest who got sick with this, but you're the first person I've talked to who, you know, went through it, and you sound great, you sound recovered. Thank you. No, I'm I'm not kissing up just because, I, you know, you're helping me promote my book. I mean, I really. You oh, do, thank you. You do four shows a day? I'm doing four shows a day right now. Well, you must I have got some to good... The... <laughs> you must no, have some I'm just good, completely good... out of my mind. Well, you must have some good gargoyle. Because, man, that's a lot of talking. Yeah, pretty much. It's called a little bit of alcohol. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, yes. The show of the wine lubrication. Yes. Just a there little bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I don't know what I expected uh, during this interview, but uh, this is not it. <laughs> and I mean, I mean that in a good way. <laughs> yeah. See, I try to keep everything nice and fluid because I want authors to connect with readers, but we don't connect with readers just talking about our books. We connect with them with the human element. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I think that's true and everything. You know, I don't. I don't know most in a way how you do it. I mean, I, I have, I watch interviews sometimes. And there's nothing worse, I'm sure, as an interviewer than to get some interviewee on the line who is just a lump. Yes. 
Let's tell me about your book. Uh, well, it's done. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> you know, yeah. We there's days that I interview people. I love interviewees like yourself that are high energy, fun to talk to. But there's a, those ones that come on, and this their first interview ever, and it's like pulling teeth to get an answer. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, have fun with it, own it. You did something exciting. <laughs> They're probably terrified, you know? Yes. Well, <laughs> having wrote my first book and having my first interview back in 2016, I can understand. Wow. Gosh, that's so, fantastic. How did, how, how did it do first time out of the shoot? Uh, actually, it's been republished now four times. Ah, so, you, you devil, you. Good for you. Yeah. Um, well, we're let's, getting, let's, let's plug that. What's the name? The, the first book was called The New Rain. Uh-huh. That is actually the third book in the I, I read Out of Order. So it's actually the second to last book of the series. So there's two prequels, but then there's two spinoffs to the series that are intertwined between the four books. Hey, it worked for George Lucas. should work for you. Exactly. Right? I was yeah. at a book signing... Uh, two years ago, and they said, you pulled a Star Wars. I was like, hey, yeah. we're now <laughs> using Star Wars as a verb. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you've heard about inspiration. This is what struck me first, so get over yeah. it. Yeah. Well, that's but. good. <laughs> well, I don't think Tales from the Day is, is not, a, uh, uh, not a prequel. I think I'd squeeze the lemon pretty dry on that. Cause so. Are you working on anything else right now? Well, I had decided I'm going to, you know, I sat down to maybe add some more tales to the uh, to the book. And you know how it is, Melissa. I think that when you're talking about stuff in your own life, you're not, you're not making stuff up. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a work of fiction. That, you know, you can keep adding stuff to it. But if you're reaching, you know, if you think about an event, uh, I worked on one story and I got it done. And I said, you know, I, I'm done here. What's the interest in the story? The point is, it isn't any. There wasn't any. There was nothing unusual about it. I thought it was well written and people seemed to like it, but that's not. And I just thought I'm not going to put together um, another book of tales where the tales are a stretch. Let me tell you about the time we had a big party in Minneapolis. Well, whoop-de-doo, you know, I mean, uh, so to answer your question, um, we're kind of kicking around the idea of doing uh, a work of fiction based on a, a uh, um, old Victorian house we moved to a, a lake location in South Dakota. It was quite a, quite a, yeah, it was quite a, quite a thing. So, but the best part of that, it was this, old Victorian house, and we had been uh, through a couple of real estate adventures, my wife and I, involving a big house in Malibu and some other things, and we swore, swore we were never going to get involved with a, with that a big house again. I mean, it's just, it's really a lot of trouble, you know? Mm-hmm. So we, we opened, I'm from South Dakota originally, so we opened some tech support there for our software company. And um, during the course of it, uh, we bought a little lake lot on a lake called Big Stone for good reason. 
And we one day, my wife, who I blame for this, uh, <laughs> said, you know, instead of building a house on the lake lot, a little log house or something, let's just move a house. There's some beautiful old houses here. And in the Midwest, that's common. People do that all the time. You don't do it in right. California, but, you know. So I put the word out I was looking. So one day um, I get a call from a family that's been there forever of house movers. Mm-hmm. And they said, listen, we moved a house. It's like three generations, right? said, we moved a house 50 years ago. And now the place where we moved it to has been bought, and it's for development. And the buyers are either going to tear it down or burn it down. And he said, we'll move that for you. I think you'll like it. So I went to look at this place, and Melissa, i got to tell you, it, was, it just took my breath away. It was this beautiful Victorian wraparound porch oh. thing. Yeah. And I went there hoping it was going to be trashed and ugly. And instead, yeah. it, was, it was beautiful, right? So my wife was out of town at the time, and I sat down on the steps, and I thought, oh, my God. How am I going to tell her about this one, you know? So, so she came back to town, and I said, look, I know our vow that we weren't going to do this again, but let me show you this place. And we're driving to it, and we get out, and she took a look at it, and she said, how old is this place? And I said, 103 years old. And then I started the pitch, right, the Wayne mm-hmm. pitch on why we should. And she just held up her hand and said, time to be quiet, you know. She went through the whole house, and when we were all done, I said, well, what do you think? And she looked at me, and she said, we are not going to let this beautiful lady die. And that was that. But the, the And we moved it 80 miles to the lake, and it became kind of a, a landmark. I loved it. I loved that place. Uh, we lived there for years, and uh, it tried to kill me once. But how was I supposed to know? that there were a hundred years of dust mites in the place and that I had an Ooh. allergy, right? Yeah. Right. I didn't know. So, but the best part, there is a best part. Okay. Is that when, when we moved the house, uh, there was this huge basement underneath that had a huge bar in it. I mean, beautiful. I don't know how old, huge, old, huge. Must have been 20, I think we measured a 25 feet or something with a back bar and we couldn't take it. I mean, mm-hmm. they literally apparently built it in the basement before they built, put the house on it. Right. And it was really heavy, and so we moved the house off, and we had to to fill it in. And so I thought, well, we'll just give the bar to somebody, and um, and we'll do a tax write-off, right? So I called everybody. I called all the BFW clubs and everybody I could think of who might want a free bar worth all kinds of money, and it was just too big. So finally one day, a local politician said, call this guy, Captain somebody or another, at the Salvation Army. And I said, Salvation Army, they were founded on not drinking, and you want me to call them and offer them a bar? He said, yeah, you might be surprised. Yeah, of course, why not? So I called this guy up. He He was a captain, right? Mm-hmm. And I told him what we had and whatever, and he interrupted me and said, we'll take it. And I thought, oh, okay. And I said, well, the thing weighs about two tons. He said, oh, good. Thanks for telling me. I'll bring some help. So on the day we're going to move it, up comes this huge Salvation Army semi-truck and two buses 
full of convicts from the local jail. And and apparently the Salvation Army took them on road trips down again. So I don't know how many guys there were. It must have been 40 guys, all in their uniforms, right? It looked like a, a scene from a bad southern chain gang movie. So these guys get out. They lift up the bar and the back bar, and they put it in the Salvation Army truck, and Gloria and I are looking at each other going, what? And... Uh, and finally, as they were getting ready to leave, I went up to Captain and I said, listen, you mind if I ask you a question? And he said, no, what is it? And I said, well, weren't you guys founded on being teetotalers? Uh, I said, and now you're taking a bar. And he just looked at me, and he looked up to the sky, and he looked back at me, and he said, the Lord works in a mysterious way. <laughs> and off they went. That was it. <laughs> That is awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my God, that's one of the. You've stories had of... so many wonderful adventures. I mean, it's just <laughs> awesome. Some of them look better, like you and I were talking in retrospect. But they're yeah. all in. They're all in the book. Tales from the day. Another plug. Yeah. Oh man, it's a bargain. So, where can our listeners find you? Um, they can go to www.talesfromtheday.com. There we go. Perfect. And on on the book and the website, yes, my picture is there. That's the benefit of the whole thing, you know? Yes, I mean, this is the benefit. Everyone gets to see the man that did all these crazy, wonderful things. Yeah. And live to tell about them. Yeah, yeah. They asked me for a bio, and one of the lines in there is that one of the biggest, you know, accomplishments is not being dead. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. I'm like, after reading or hearing some of these stories and reading a little bit about them, I'm like, how did you survive all these things? But you're here for a reason, right? And this yeah, reason it was to. Put this book out and yep. give us all something to laugh about from yep. back in the I day. I hope so. I hope you're right. We'll soon see. But again, you can't take yourself too seriously. So um, there is a, there are some serious stories uh, in mm-hmm. here about yes. you know getting shot and, and a friend of mine who got involved in the Vietnam War and it did not go well for him when he got home. And but they're they're only like you know maybe yeah. 15% of the stories. The rest of them are the bar, rope the bear type stories, you know. Right, the funny, the humorous, the yep. how did you survive this. But there are those yep. stories in there that are real life and they're yep. touching. Because, well, I, thank yeah. you. So, again, thank you so much for your service. Well, and, you're very welcome. And I would love to talk to you if you ever get that fictional book wrote about your house because i think that was that's going to be awesome as well well thank you so much and you take care of yourself i'm glad you recovered so well from the virus Jeez, wow yeah, yeah i i'm i'm just locking myself up in the house trying not to repeat it but the problem is of course you probably have no idea how you caught it you could have gotten it anywhere well, right at the time, I was the only one in the family that could drive. Well, I'm still the only one that can drive. So I was taking family members to doctor's appointments, taking to oh. medical procedures, going to stores. Yeah. 
even with masks and gloves and everything else, this was back in early March. Oh, my gosh. So, well, you you, know, you're right. Yeah. The more exposure you get, if you get exposed a lot, mm-hmm. the more likely you are to yep. to become really ill from it. So, Jeez, well, well yeah. what a pleasure talking with you, my new friend. It was a pleasure talking to you, too, Wayne, and I hope to do this again. Okay, and anytime. Anytime. Of course. This is fun. This was a quick half hour. Like, All right. seriously. Well, there you go. <laughs> how's, how's your, I hear your show's doing very well, by the way. It is. It's doing well. It went from listeners on IG, Instagram yeah. TV, went from yeah. 300. I get usually about 1,600 listeners within six minutes. Oh, fantastic. Great. Good for you. Fantastic. All right. All right. Great. Great. Well, thanks for the shot. It was wonderful talking to you, and I will do this again. Have Anytime, an awesome, my friend. Awesome day. You Bye. too. Bye-bye. Bye.